Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to the Delicious Magazine May podcast with me, Jilly Smith. This week, we meet Angela Hartnett as she prepares to take her mentee, Killian Crowley, to represent the UK and Ireland in the San Pellegrino Young Chef Grand Finale in Milan. Chef Robin Gill tells us about his new book, Larder, and we're talking tea with a difference. Plus, food editor Jen's in the delicious test kitchen, and to kick us off, magazine editor Karen's here to tell us what's in the May issue. Well, we are celebrating fresh new things in spring and I feel as we're talking that we haven't had any sunshine for about two years. Um, it did. It was sunny just recently and it's sunny today and joy, our May issue is full of all the new shoots and fresh signs of life which is a wonderful thing, so many good recipes. Um, but also I think there's a certain wedding happening Somebody this month. Married. I can't quite Someone, remember. what are their names? I can't, can't think. You're anyway, making cakes. We're making cakes. <laughs> We've got this great feature um, by the historian Annie Gray on the history of the wedding cake, which is fascinating. Um, and followed by that, we've got three celebration cakes. Because I figure that we all have parties and celebrations we have to make a beautiful cake for. But you might have different levels of skill. So we've got the really simple entry-level carrot cake cupcakes, which mm, are so delicious me. but really easily. And then there's an incredible Sasha torte, which is the densest, richest chocolate cake that you can scale up or down for a crowd. And then we have the showstopper wedding cake. And I have to say, if I'm honest, Jilly, I would be quite intimidated about making a three-tier cake, would you? <laughs> Absolutely. My cakes turn out as biscuits anyway. I'm really not a baker. You're obviously it's... not using delicious recipes. <laughs> What's going on? Hang on a minute. We need to have a word. Um, but this celebration cake I, I re- it looks stunning for a start and then I realised when you break these things down and you've got three tiers all different flavours decorated in, with buttercream and then fondant it looks sensational I thought I could do this you know I don't consider myself to be the world's expert cake maker and yet the delicious approach mm. is always to break things down into a doable way yeah. so and I would say start with one tier yeah. do one tier of it and polish your skills and then think I could do this I could I could do this for a celebration so whether you're doing a birthday party just a few friends around or you're braving making a wedding cake for somebody special there's the feature for that but my final word is if you make one or two things from the magazine this month I would probably my savoury choice would be crab on toast from the hidden hut 
cafe in Cornwall. Which I'm going to soon. Yes, you are, and it's it's such a simple and delicious dish. And sweet-wise, there is a rhubarb and custard tart that's laced with a bit of ginger and lime, and it is the most delicious thing. I will leave you with that thought. Now, the San Pellegrino Grand Finale is about to take place in Milan, and I'll be there to follow the UK and Ireland winner Killian Crowley and his mentor Angela Hartnett as they prep and cook towards the finishing line. I caught up with Angela as she was packing a suitcase to find out why this chef de partie at One Star Michelin restaurant Ania in Galway had made it this far. His dish was so simple, but it was so perfectly executed. The fish, he had beautiful turbot, they cooked on the bone, a beautiful sauce with it, a lovely oyster sauce with it. Then in the back, that was the odd thing about it, he basically had this fantastic, like it looked like a sea at seabed we had all these shells and stones and pebbles and he had his oysters on them. and we thought everything was going to be presented on that but he didn't which if he had it would have sent it on to another thing right. because much of San Pellegrino is all about the food let's be honest the food's got to taste great there is a sense of presentation a sense of you know occasion so I think that's what we'll be working on when we do it but you know he was just you could just tell he's a good solid cook Simple flavour, but absolutely delicious. You know, he had this little, I think it was like a little uh, clam that was probably a bit superfluous. Um, But other than that, everything was great. Whereas some of the other competitors, brilliant dishes though they were, far too much going on. And when you put too much on, you don't execute it properly. So the tick boxes, Angela, are the the five golden rules, as they call them. Ingredients, skill, genius, beauty and message. So ingredients, I mean, I presume it's vital that they're doing local seasonal. Yes, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, any competition, it's very hard to um, do for young chefs these days. Even things like Great British Menu, because you're cooking in the competition, but... The final may well be in the summer, yeah. and then your and it might be an, a, a message of the summer. So his final, the final is actually May, mm. but we were cooking in November, October. So it's hard for them to sort of get their head, you know. But so you make allowances if they're not going to. But essentially, it's great ingredients, and he chose the fish of fish turbot, yeah. you know, oyster. So you can't really go wrong with that, you know, unless you do it. And to cook it on the bone, I thought was where the skill is. You know, at the end of the day, we all know that cooking fish on the bone is far better than filleting it off and then whacking it in a pan so you know he did that and he had this beautiful turbot what we would like to have seen is that turbot come out and be presented because right. I think the skill of Babyly coming and filleting it for the judges putting that on the plate and finishing it would have been quite incredible and that's what's that's what the beauty is presumably yes exactly I mean his dish was simple and beautiful in its simplicity but it needed a bit more and I think that was his only downfall you know because when we walked around all the competitors and we saw all them prepping and we saw this amazing what felt like the sea if you shut your eyes and opened it again but yet that didn't come out with his dish and I think even afterwards I said what happened he goes well I didn't think there was enough room and all that it's like no you have to just we'll make the room you just do what you need to do yeah so I think he's aware of that genius and genius yeah I mean at the end it's a hard one is I mean is it you'd call a young 20 year old or 20 under 20s a genius it's um, quite something I think Jess well one I admire anyone who goes into a competition like this two because of the actual phenomenal world exposure they'll get I think that takes a certain character to be able to do that and I think also I think where his genius if you like comes into it is his belief in less is more young cooks they're not confident with that and yet he really was and I think that was quite a genius in a way yeah and then obviously his message he comes from Ireland it was all about where the restaurant is using the local produce 
using the local surroundings you know had lots of sea herbs there you know everything slightly forage you know but not forage for foraging sake it worked with the dish you know can't have superfluous ingredients on just for the sake of it yeah how do you mentor someone to have the strength of spirit being a ballsy character mm. well i think you know practice makes perfect is one thing keep trying your dish but you know give yourself a break from it every now and again um, I also think just make sure that's your ultimate thing. You know, at the end of the day, whatever happens, cameras, people, peel, you have to be able to cook that dish. So just make sure every element, take your time, plan it, time it. Um, and I think, you know, in himself to enter that competition, he's got to have something about him. I don't know whether it's necessarily ballsy, but have a certain confidence because yeah. he's quite shy. He's quite laid back. Um, not laid back, but he's quite reserved, maybe. Um, so I think, you know, he knows what he has to do and he's just got to always have that, you know, don't be blown away by the cameras and don't be a rabbit in the headlights, you yeah. know, at the end of the day, that's, that is irrelevant because if you don't win, that all goes. Yeah. So if you want that, you've got to make sure you win. Yeah. And you can hear how he does in an extra portion coming up in May. Now, Robin Gill rose to fame with his cooking at the Dairy in Clapham, South London, and has been lauded for creating a new narrative about the old values of British cooking, fermenting, pickling, curing, smoking, at a time when waste and sustainability are top of the food agenda. As he launches his first book, Larder, I asked him how it all happened. I suppose as you, as you grow a little bit older, and, you know, I've got a little boy now, and and you just start to look around you and and... and you become a little bit more responsible about what you're doing. You think about things a little bit more more deeply. So it's less about trying to be this incredible sort of creative chef breaking boundaries, but more about what what we're doing and is it right? Is it sustainable in every sense of the word? You know, there's no, and, and I mean that about being a profitable restaurant as well. You know, how do we how do we use absolutely everything? How do we do the the growers justice? The people that put all the work into growing something, or the fishermen and and the fish itself, you know, so rather than taking the prime cuts and only the prime cuts of things, we figure out what can we do with all the bones, can we dry them out, use them for broths, you know, all of this, so we, and, and that then becomes sustainable as a business. It's more about, like, meeting the producers, knowing your suppliers, and buying directly or working directly with, with your own producers that are working with two guys who have a company called Indiology, they call themselves the Food Waste Farmers. And what they do is they um, collect all of our food waste from a whole number of restaurants around London. There's only five restaurants that have acquired um, a whole lot of land near Gatwick Airport. All of our food waste has gone to a soil that wasn't very good, that is now really nutritious and amazing. And we're growing all of our vegetables off food waste. So, I mean, that's incredible for a London city restaurant. That's phenomenal. Yeah, and it's fantastically cool. I mean, I go around and I talk to a lot of chefs about this stuff. If you're not part of that gang, you're not part of the cool gang. Who'd have thought (laughs) that sustainability would be the coolest thing in town? It is. And, you know, the funny thing is you mentioned cool gang. I think that's another thing that's changed in the industry over the years. You know, I'd say about 15, 20 years ago, no chefs spoke to each other. There wasn't the social media that you see now. Now you look at our Instagram feed or you look at Matt Orlando, another friend over in Amass, and they're, they're, we're all teaching each other and we're all sharing ideas. And it's a community now where it wasn't before. You know, we can't just be all about sustainability. It's tasty. That's the most important thing. It's still very affordable for what we do because it's such a competitive market right now. that's the creative right bit, isn't it? Yeah, it's turning something humble. Or, or not, what, what, I mean, what is humble about a beautiful character? What's humble about the most amazing beetroot that you've ever seen with all the leaves still intact because it was picked four hours ago? There's nothing humble about that. It's absolutely special. So you're taking something that, that was perceived as just veg in a supermarket to something that's been grown with 
absolute love care and then you taste the difference and it just blows people's minds and, you, and, and, and then what's on the plate is a lot simpler there's not 15 ingredients there's three but they taste absolutely amazing. Fantastic. Tell us about the book. Is uh, I mean, presumably the book is exactly the same sort of stuff. Have you tried to kind of encapsulate that philosophy in the book? Yeah, I mean, the book is really, I, I see it as, a, it's almost like a behind the scenes look into how we operate as, I would say, a very modern bistro, but we're looking back at traditional methods. Um, so, untraditionally on the book, what we've done is, you know, you usually have an index with all the back recipes at the very back of the book, but we see that as the, as, as, as the backbone to what we do. And it's very much a mix for both the chef, a professional, but also the home cook. So the very front part of the book is everything from vegetable fermentation, dairy fermentation, uh, pickling preserves, curing salt through the use of salt and sugars, through to vinegars and Japanese methods, all sorts. So there's literally a massive big chapter all of the backbone and stocks and sources and things like that. And then it flows into the, all of the seasons and how we incorporate those techniques into, uh, into the book. And these are dishes that we serve in the restaurant. But what it also does is, is tells a story about all the people that make that happen. So it's not just me writing all the recipes, it's about a team collectively, how we work, how we operate. Everything from Sarah, the flower lady, to Barbara, the bee lady, to the farmers over in, in, in Gatwick, to Ben, uh, sorry, the the fisherman down in Cornwall, the bean family that we work with. So it's, it's about how the the journey of all the food and how it comes to, to, to being on the plate, you know, and then how to how to achieve it at home or in a restaurant. I don't care if people steal the recipes. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, bet you get 20, 20, 20, bet you get 20, 20, bet you get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Now, tea is as much a part of Britishness as, well, street parties and royal weddings. But what do we really know about the good old British cuppa? According to Ed Eisler, founder and CEO of Jing Tea, who has a degree in Chinese medicine, we know very little about the qi of tea. This ancient Eastern philosophy is much the same as the field to fork or the slow food movement in which terroir, time and tradition are an essential part of the experience. In the East, there's more of a feel of things. So when we talk about the qi of something, although you can talk about a complex theory, it's really the feeling and the whole experience of something. We say the chi of this tea, we're talking about the effect on the body, where it brings the energy, 
although they've sort of emphasized it in the east we don't have to feel it's something alien to us as, a, as an idea where does that where do those qualities come from it comes from the whole production so it starts with the the, the um, nature in the sense of where it's grown what time of year it was picked um, what the um, flora and fauna of that place is what the soil is like what the um, how high it is how it's related to the uh, position of the sun all and the shade and all of that kind of thing so if you if you look at a very um, lush uh, tea like tea that's grown in Yunnan for instance tropical Yunnan in the far southwest of um, China it's gonna have a very different feel to it to a tea that's grown very very high up on thin soil um, in very um, rocky mountains where the um, temperature is changing very fast and you're, you're much higher up so the air quality is completely different obviously you know anyone can work out that the lush one is going to be very rich and thick and the high grown one is going to be have a much more um, refined harder quality to it vaporous even and with chi comes gong fu the art of know-how ed explained so in China, there's a thing called gong fu tea. Uh, we've heard this word kung fu, which is a sort of less accurate pronunciation. Gong fu. Gong fu tea, again, it means skill and result, producing a great result through skill and experience. It's kind of the meaning of it. I'm not translating the word for word, it's meaning for meaning. It's not about having a load of theory. It's to do with real know-how. So when you see um, a builder who's very, very good with a screwdriver, he, he uses minimal effort but gets maximum power. Instead, then you see someone who's no good and they use the wrong screwdriver they t or they trial it lots of times and then they take the head off the screw and they're putting in loads of effort. Or same with someone cutting wood. Someone who's really, really good at that has gong fu. They've got real know-how and they can get the result. With tea, at the broader sense, it's saying, what is great tea? How do I get the best out of it? And then producing a great result. But along with that, there have been various tea-making equipment that's been made. One is the guy one, one is the small teapots, one may be the glass um, in more recent years. And it's about knowing how to work with these the, the, the water, good, good quality water that fits the tea at the right temperature and the right amount. You can't just boil a kettle. You can when you know. It's like cooking. It's like cooking everyone's followed a recipe and you follow it really meticulously and you scrunch your face up as you're doing it and you go oh this and that and you get neurotic about whether you put in too much or too little and all of that once you've done that recipe 50 times you've got the know-how you've got the gong food especially if you have feedback and everything else but imagine someone who's done it thousands of times or 10,000 times the same thing they really you know it's like that tailor that knows how to do something or a cleaner who can make something just look amazing. We, we don't appreciate these things anymore because we really replaced this with technology. And I think m at much at the expense of living well. And while we're talking tea, things ain't what they used to be down in Holborn. This place that I'd like to call uh, the, um, the Garden of Pastries is inspired by Les Fleurs du Mal from Baudelaire. So you might know that the poet Baudelaire and Rodin were close friends and uh, Rodin made all the sketches on the Fleurs du Mal from Baudelaire. So all these pastries are um, with a lot of floral flavors. We're going to have a pistachio financier with some rose, 
violet and berry macaron, a vanilla chou with uh, some jasmine, and uh, 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 meringue de montarte with some tons of uh, lavender. That was Jeremy, one of the mirror room waiters at the Rosewood Hotel in London, which has teamed up with the British Museum to create an afternoon tea menu inspired by the groundbreaking sculptural work of Auguste Rodin. Executive pastry chef Mark Perkins explained at a very noisy champagne reception how to make the kiss out of white chocolate. The kiss um, basically came about with trying to look at an inspiration for the twisted people, for the lovers, the, the whole inspiration of it. Um, so with the flavour profiles, with the rose and raspberry, with a uh, little twist of mascarpone through it, with the um, Italian influence for the actual sculpture itself. Um, and that, then I tried seeing how I could get the twist into the sculpture itself and the pastry, which led me to just doing a little twist of marble chocolate with around, wrapped around the chocolate heart and the... Uh, the rose base. And mastermind Ido Gurini of Studio Appetit explained why London was the natural home for the tea and the exhibition. The specific exhibition that they're opening is about uh, Rodin and influences that he had from uh, Greek sculptors. Uh, Rodin has never been to Greece. He saw all the sculptures in the British Museum. The kiss specifically, I think it, it is from a different era, but in style it is... It's very it, Greek. It, yeah, it's very Greek. Um, uh, his uh, Age of Bronze and considers one of his more Greek work, but I find it kind of fascinating that he used to come a lot to London um, and he used to come to the British Museum and see the same sculptures that we can see today. So, so I could have I, 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 I went with Mark and we saw the exhibition and actually we got the same inspiration that Rodin saw for the collection. Fantastic. Um, I think it's kind of fun, which usually you don't get to do that. Yeah, I wonder if he stayed at the Rosewood. <laughs> The collaboration runs right the way through the British Museum's Rodin and the Art of Ancient Greece exhibition from April the 26th to July the 29th. And while we're at the Rosewood, social media superstar Felicity Spector has been down to the pop-up pie shop at the hotel's Hoban Dining Room. I caught up with her to share a pie. Felicity Spector, I've just caught you on the run. You're on your lunch break and you're doing what you do. You run around trying London's latest finds. Tell us where you've just been. I just went to meet this incredible chef called Callum Franklin, who's head chef at the Hope and Dining Rooms, and he's just opened this pie room, which is absolutely a shrine to all things pastry. It's incredible. Which you love. You are the queen of pastry, aren't you? I do like a bit of pastry, I have to say. And they're doing a takeaway pie room, which has just opened yesterday, and you can go in, you can get a hot pie, you can get a cold one to take home and reheat. Um, they're doing all sorts of different ones, a vegetarian one, chicken, and all his chefs are in there doing beautiful things with pastry. It's just absolutely amazing. This is the chicken pie. Yeah, this is the, very exciting now. It's opening up this chicken and girol pie that Callum's team have made in their pie shop. And uh, wow, really beautiful. Look at all that. It's really generously filled. It's got like a beautiful looking pastry. It's, the color on it is gorgeous. Come on, take a bite. Okay, so I'm gonna try some from the... We're going halves on this one, okay? Yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> I'm gonna get some of that nice girol. Mm. Yeah, really beautiful. Mm. I mean, this is this is what London is supposed to do best. It really kind of makes something of the heritage of, of British pie tradition, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, London's always been, you know, a pioneer of dishes like this. Really traditional, good old-fashioned food, 
you know, you've got places like the Hoban Dining Room, which has really exemplified it. Their pudding menu, for example, always has things like treacle tart, you know, Sussex pond pudding. And these are the dishes we should be celebrating. And it's fantastic that chefs of Callum's calibre and all the team that he's got around him are just doing these things so well. It's wonderful. And so to the test kitchen at the delicious office where I found food editor Jen Bedlow in reflective mood. Well, this is a good time in the test kitchen because we pause for thought. We've sent our May issue off to press last week. Um, our June issue is going through. So all the copy that we've written and shot is, is going through. So that's our sort of mechanics. So this is when things are being completely tested through um, but this is the exciting bit where we've got that time to see what's going to be happening um, so today we've got we start with our usually our midweek section which is quite crucial to the magazine it's the section that we believe actually you need more than any of the recipes in, in the magazine because it's it's the nuts and bolts it's how to feed yourself well every day um, cooking from scratch it shouldn't take you more than half an hour um, using fresh ingredients but a few shortcuts you know some lovely spices spice blends that have been that we've discovered along the way. There's an array of tomatoes going on here. This is for our take a pack feature. Take a punnet of cherry tomatoes and and here's four incredibly easy um, but fab ways to use them. So today we've got coming up a Virgin Mary Panzanella or we have talked about making it Bloody Mary because if you can see there's a nice bottle of vodka sitting there. Why not? Why not? It's midweek so it would be optional Um, but that gorgeous combination of of what vodka and and cherry tomatoes can bring um, a good good amount of Worcester sauce in there and Tabasco and lots of lovely celery. Bit naughty isn't it so we'll give it a whirl and see see how it gets on. We do try everything. Um, A tray bake we invented with um, Padron peppers i don't know if you're, you're a fan of them the russian roulette that we're not all we're not convinced if we actually get the russian roulette in a pandron pepper anymore but we will we will try them today but um that with halloumi the combination of halloumi and a bit of chorizo again really high summer thinking fab flavors but not a lot of cooking because you don't want to you know if the sun's shining we don't be out want to be outside not in the kitchen necessarily um and so those amazing tacos are going to be made into cheesy quesadillas, mm, which yeah. will be served with a tomato relish with um, oh, well, salsa, really, with lots of avocado in there and gorgeous, um, fresh, vibrant flavours. Thanks for listening to the Delicious Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe via your podcast app for the weekly extra portions between the monthly episodes, including this month, How to Spend Your Summer on the Slopes in Verbier. Guy Watson on 30 Years at Riverford, Sheila Dillon on almost 40 years of Radio 4's The Food Programme, and a special extra portion on that San Pellegrino Young Chef Grand Finale in Milan. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 